Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Beyond the Bikini Radio. And in this episode, it is going to be a repost from Jason Phillips' podcast. I was super excited and thankful to have Jason take the time to interview me for his podcast. And we are going to just repost it here on Beyond the Bikini Radio because the interview was amazing. In this interview, we talk about my journey on finding fitness coaching, and some lessons that I learned along the way and how sometimes your struggles can become your strengths. So guys, make sure that you tune in and don't forget that the only way that we can grow here on iTunes is through ratings and reviews. And if you don't have iTunes, feel free to share this podcast on your social media. If you share on Instagram, make sure you tag me at Nicole Farrier Fitness, telling me that you guys enjoy this podcast because the more you share this podcast, the more people that I'm able to help. So I appreciate that greatly, guys, and I hope you enjoy this one. Hey there, welcome to Beyond the Bikini podcast, where you can enhance your body and your mind. My name is Nicole Ferrier, exercise science grad, certified personal trainer, bikini competitor, and coach. On this podcast, you will learn more about my experience in the fitness industry, competing in bikini competitions, mental health, and how to gain more success in your own life in your fitness journey. So sit back, relax, or power through this cardio session and enjoy. All right, guys, welcome back to the Nutrition Coaching Secrets Podcast. Uh, We are joined by a very special guest today, um, actually getting to meet and connect and communicate uh, with this amazing individual, but somebody I've been following on the down low for quite some time, watching her have just an amazing impact on, on other people, um, you know, their struggles with food, their struggles with body image. And those are the things that I'm excited to dive into with our guest, Nicole Ferrier. How's it going, Nicole? It's going well. Good morning. Good morning. I know it's a little early, a little earlier than we thought, but uh, I know you got a busy day going on. Um, I'm sure you're like most online entrepreneurs. You've been up grinding since God knows whatever time. Um, but it's, it's, I was just telling our producer right before this, man, it's been a crazy week. Like I'm, I'm normally working by like 5.36 most days, but this week I was up at like 4.15 every day because we got big projects that we're cranking out. So uh, man, it feels good that it's Friday, man. It feels good that we're in this conversation. And I just feel like the next hour, we're going to drop a lot of knowledge on people. So thank you so much for your time and for being here. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm excited to talk with your audience today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, for those people that are not following you right now and they need to guys, obviously, uh, her Instagram handle will be in the show notes. We'll make sure that we tag it up for, um, those people that are not following you, What is it that you currently do in the space um, in terms of, you know, we hear all the time there's nutrition coaches, but that's a vague and ambiguous term. What is it you're actually doing? What what problems are you solving? And, And I know firsthand, what epic change are you creating? So I work primarily with, I call lifestyle clients. So these are clients who aren't wanting to compete in like a bodybuilding competition. Um, I do help prep a handful of clients, but I am a competitor myself, but that doesn't mean that that's my prime focus. I actually work with primarily people who struggle with their relationship with food 
And there's a fine line between eating disordered and disordered relationship with food. And I only focus on those who have a slightly disordered relationship with food, where maybe they're fearful of certain like foods, like that could be carbohydrates or fats or just eating more calories in general. And what I've come to find out with my years of coaching is a lot of women think that it's normal to eat a low calorie amount. And they're so scared to get to a higher level yet they don't realize that they're holding themselves back from achieving their fitness goals. I couldn't agree more. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit. First of all, why, like why that segment of people? Uh, I'm a big believer and obviously I've helped, I've helped enough coaches grow their, their impact to, to know that typically the, the area that we end up in as a coach or the population that we end up serving comes from a little bit of personal history. And, and I know that uh, your history factors in. Can you, can you share with everybody why is that the route that you chose and why does it mean so much to you? Because you're a very passionate coach too. Like mm-hmm. I, I can tell from your content, the way you carry yourself, the way you speak to people, like you genuinely give a fuck. So why is this such a passion for you? I guess because I don't want anyone else to experience what I did. Like I honestly felt like I lost a lot of my childhood because I developed an eating disorder at 14. And this started out as a diet because I saw my mom dieting and I figured, well, if I join her, like she's going to be more successful, like the buddy system, but I'm very extreme. And then couple that with really low confidence in high school and also being a gymnast it turned into a full-blown eating disorder. And I didn't even really recognize who I was as a person. I was good at manipulating people that I was okay and good at hiding things. But I remember losing like 10 pounds in a month and I didn't even have the weight to lose. So that was really drastic. And then I started developing all these rules around food. Um, I became a vegetarian. I was scared of certain foods that were over 200 calories. Like all these rigid rules and it it took until around my senior year to start to make improvements but a lot of it just came from um a coach of mine that just like really cared and was saying like well you would be like so much better on bars or so much better on the balance beam if you just had a little bit more muscle and i was like i like researched like how do you build muscle and then i realized you need protein you need calories like that's why you feel horrible during your four-hour practices is because you're not eating enough wow so much there um 200 calories being being afraid of Mm -hmm. uh, eating disorder at 14 years old which I guess that seems crazy to me, but I don't think that's overly uncommon. Sadly, I think it's almost even more commonplace today, 2020, than it was however many years ago that was for you. I, I think it's almost yeah. more common. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned seeing your mom diet. I'm I'm interested about that because obviously mm-hmm. I have a three-year-old daughter and I never use the word diet. I never talk. I don't talk about eating habits and you know, it's when I was going through my eating disorder, um, you know, I, I, one of the things that I believe is that those that are eating disordered, they hold it as a trophy. They, they hold their strict behaviors as a trophy. And I've studied the psychology on it. And, you know, I, I don't know if you exhibited these behaviors, but for me, I would be like, I'm so disciplined. And like, yeah. I, would, I would like hold it as a trophy over other people. And, and I had a nephew that was like, 
he just had some child like baby fat like he was not an overweight not in any way overweight but it made him feel very insecure and i look back at the time like man what a poor leader i was yeah like i was a jerk <laughs> yeah like i and, and i didn't i didn't realize i was being such a dickhead but i was what was the relationship like with you and your mother that that allowed this to spin down and did your mom mm -hmm. ever pick up on it so luckily i had a best friend like reach out to my mom telling her that she doesn't eat lunch anymore she doesn't really eat like there's something going on but like i said i was a great manipulator so i convinced my mom that everything was fine but i think what my issue was like with my family dynamic is like i'm literally the smallest person in my family um, majority of people in my family are like two three hundred pounds they struggle with their weight they struggle with their health around their weight and i was almost like scared to gain weight to maybe get to an unhealthy level and even just small comments like my brother calling me fat and he was just joking but like calling me fat or even my dad making comments on certain food choices i feel like i took them way out of context and i again was so fearful of getting bigger and my identity literally in my family was you're so thin you should be a model wow yeah. there's, there's so much there oh, like i i mean i think the environment that people grow up in totally dictates this and you know i've i've shared my story so many times by no means was i ever uh were, were positive eating habits ever thrust upon me and i i actually think that it can be equally as bad on that side because as i learned about nutrition all I saw around my house was how bad it was. Um, you know, I actually, I was, I started to write a book um, and the first chapter was actually called Chicken Fingers Are a Protein Source. And <laughs> it was connected to where, you know, I was, I remember just like you, I learned you needed to eat more protein, you need to eat more calories to gain muscle. And so my mom was like, well, just order chicken fingers. That's protein. And like, yeah. so I was eating chicken fingers thinking they were like a quality source of protein. That's how young and naive I was. But like, as I learned more and more, I was like, wow, like I come from a really unhealthy family. I can't yeah, do anything that they do. And I, I almost felt like I needed to ostracize myself, which is insanity. Um, I'm, I'm interested to know, because obviously this gymnastics coach really helped you out. Mm -hmm. How did you like, how did you actually put trust in that because i i know for me I, I talk all the time about how i had a trainer tell me i needed to eat four thousand calories and i still to this day 18 years removed couldn't tell you why i put blind faith in that mm -hmm. but but i did what what was it about this person or this process that made you trusted after you know basically viewing food as the enemy for so long so i still struggled with my relationship with food even in the beginning of my college years but it just turned into another eating disorder but it did get better like my like end of junior senior year it was better and i had two coaches like one actually was a fitness competitor and like she used to compete in like the olympia and the arnold like she was really high level and she was like in her 40s and she had tons of muscle definition she could still do all the gymnastics moves and she would just tell me like, you know, if you would just eat a little bit more, like you'd be able to do those handstand pushups or do all of these pull-ups. And then I just kind of tried to trust that even though it was scary, but like, I also saw her and I'm like, well, why would she lie to me? Like she obviously cares. 
And then, um, I don't know. I just think that a, a couple coaches would point out the whole strength thing. And I wanted to hold a high position because in gymnastics, there's only five girls where their scores get counted. And the rules always change depending on what level they're at. But they would only take five girls to compete. So, like, if you weren't the top one, you didn't get a spot and you're going to hang out on the bench. And that was an absolute no for me. So I actually got like most improved my senior year too, which was like such a good pat on the back. Like my, my difficulty increased significantly and like all like the head coaches were like so confused on like what happened. That's <laughs> Because it's, uh, I look back at it, man, if, you know, for me, I went through my eating disorder in, uh, during my golf career. And even if you would have told me eating more would have helped me, I think I was so I was in such terror around body image. Um, mm -hmm. that I still I, have horrible body image, though. Yeah, I, I and good for you for actually being able to eat the food and move forward because I think I would have my fear around body image would not have allowed me to fuel that activity. Um, mm -hmm. As as we kind of transition out of that, obviously you found serious passion there, and you're like, I want to help other people. Talk about that because you clearly at some point had to understand what you, you probably didn't even realize what you were overcoming in the moment, but um, you, you at some point over understood what you overcame and that transitioned to a desire to, to pay it forward. Walk me through that. Like how did that transition happen? So I, like I mentioned, like as I got older, like my eating disorder did transfer into like even bouts of bulimia. But I remember just having this like, come to Jesus moment with myself thinking like, if I had a daughter right now and she were to walk in on me right now, how would I feel? And that just like really got me thinking. I'm like, I could literally have a heart attack and I could die. And to think that I could die from something that I basically did to myself, it just wasn't worth it. So that was my senior year of, of college. And my that disorder was weird because it would like be really bad and then it'd be okay and then it'd be really bad and then it'd be okay like it was just bouts of like getting like relapsing and then being okay but um i don't even recognize that person anymore but i think what really made me passionate about wanting to help others is i think a lot of people will diet and then have really bad confidence with their body image and it can turn into something more and that's not what i want for anyone um, I'm very particular with my clients on how they talk about their body and how they talk about food. I don't let them call themselves fat. I don't let them call themselves disgusting or lazy. Uh, I don't let them call certain foods bad or I feel guilty. I call that out because little words like that can manifest into something further, especially if you have something traumatic go on in your life. Um, a lot of eating disorders stem from traumatic events. And so if you look at maybe when your eating, eating disorder started, like maybe it was a change in your lifestyle or maybe there was some sort of dramatic event. I know for me, like, yes, my mom was dieting, but also my parents were not the best dynamic together. Um, and I think that that was maybe a trigger for me to try to be perfect for them, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. no, that totally makes sense. Um, so you you mentioned earlier and you just brought up again in terms of like your work with people you said you don't work with eating disordered but you you do work with people that have a disordered sense of 
food mm -hmm. and relationship to that food and, and the subsequent body image. That's a fine line. And I know a mm -hmm. lot of people are, are, are going to listen to this and, and the registered dietitian zealots are going to come out and they're going to be like, you can't fucking do that. And like, I'm, I'm so much in agreement with you. First of all, I think, um, you know, I, I've been very outspoken in saying that 90% of people's food issues are not food related at all. Um, yeah. and, and so walk me through that because I love the work that you're doing. How do you put the distinguishment there? How do you make sure that what you're doing is exactly what the client needs? It's interesting because a lot of my friends are also eating disorder recoveries. Um, some have been inpatient, some, you know, have taken another route or is inpatient, outpatient. A lot of eating disorder treatment isn't good. Um, and oh, yeah. their experience is bad. And I understand the whole registered dietitian approach, but if you don't fix the mental side of things and their little words around food, those little words do add up. And so, like I said, I don't work with anyone who's currently struggling with an eating disorder. I will refer them out to a therapist um, so they can have a team around them because that also is a liability for their health because eating disorders do have the highest mortality rate if we're talking about anorexia, so that is a concern. However, when you recover from an eating disorder, I truly believe it's always with you, just like someone who recovers from alcoholism. So for example, if you're a recovering alcoholic and you go to a party, there's still going to be alcohol there. Do you think that they're not going to have thoughts in their head about it? They absolutely will. They probably consciously have to tell themselves, no, like we're not going to you know, go there. We know that that's not good for us you know, more time away from their addiction, it's going to get better and that voice will get muted. But same with an eating disorder. And what makes it hard with eating disorders is you can't get away from food. You can't, you're going to have to face it every single day. It's really interesting you say that. Um, I want to ask you from both sides of the coin. As somebody who struggled with an eating disorder, how does it continue to show up in your life, handle it? Because I, I know I personally, like I said, 18 years removed, I still go through that. Yeah. Uh, and then number two, for anybody that's had an eating disorder, I, I'm, I'm completely in agreement with you. I do believe it will continue to show up in their life as, as they move forward. Um, mm -hmm. How do they channel that? Because I don't think, love what you said. I don't think it's about getting rid of it. I think it's about handling it and channeling it and using, really, I, I think you can use your relationship with food positively as well. But uh, first, how is it affecting you? How do you handle it? Second, how can clients do that? So I had, and I've talked about this with my a lot of my clients, is like I used to have a whole list of fear foods and that would be foods that would give me anxiety or would just like stress me out because you know, they are usually higher calorie and, you know, there's still some things that will stress me out a little bit. So it could be something small. Like if I were to go to a restaurant and get a salad and there's only like high fat dressings, like that can be a stressful scenario for me. Um, it can be a little bit stressful if I'm not able to have any sort of whole foods. So we recently, um, my boyfriend and I went to visit his family and they're from the Midwest. And so they could literally have pizza every single day, but that's something that is like stressful to me, but it's not more so like, oh my gosh, Nicole, you're going to get fat. It's, this isn't going to make you feel good. And I don't like that. Um, but it's about like, I always tell people like you can have the thoughts in your head, but all that matters is the action. 
So for example, I'm not going to just choose not to eat in that situation. I'm just going to try to make best choice possible. Interesting, because I don't think that the thoughts, I don't think the thoughts ever go away. So I love that kind of rule of thumb. It's okay to have the thoughts. It's it's more about the actions that come from those thoughts, because I, I believe a lot of people beat themselves up over the mm -hmm. thoughts that are in their head, and you can't really control that, right? That's your subconscious. I mean, yeah. I don't really think anybody can control the thoughts that pop up. Obviously, you can control the manifestation of those thoughts. You control the actions that result from those thoughts, but you mm -hmm. certainly cannot control the thoughts themselves. Um, okay, there's so many people in the world today that are confused about food. And, mm -hmm. and I think that there's a fine line between food confusion and a negative relationship with food. How do you know when a client comes to you, which side of the fence they're on? So if the client is a good relationship versus bad relationship? Yeah, or just simply like, I don't know if I should be keto. Like, I'm so afraid of carbs because everybody said keto is bad. Like, I mm -hmm. think that's kind of natural fear in the marketplace today. But there mm -hmm. are some people that are genuinely scared of carbs to the point where it is driving them into some seriously negative rabbit holes. How yeah. do you make that distinguishment? Um, a more so bad relationship with food, like it's different if someone's like, my friend did keto, like carbs must be bad. Like it's different when the person is like, um, like maybe let's say they're falling short on their carbohydrates, like hitting that target. And then they tell me like, oh, I just like can't seem to hit the carbs. And then maybe I suggest a piece of fruit or some rice or potatoes. And then they say, well, I don't normally eat that. Okay, well, why don't you normally eat that? Because isn't that food bad for me? Why is that food bad for you? I feel like it's going to make me fat or I was just always told that it's bad for me. And then if I can educate them on the benefits of that food, it makes it less fearful or I have them compare it to something that they're more comfortable with. So for example, like I mentioned, like I had my fear foods and I had foods I was okay with. If I could compare my eight ounces of egg whites to my chicken breast, why am I avoiding chicken? I can eat the chicken. It's going to be okay. And that comes from someone who's a vegetarian, but I was more so a vegetarian so I could be more rigid and restrictive. But if I can compare it to something that I'm comfortable with, it makes that fear less scary. But someone with a bad relationship with food will kind of talk about it a little bit with each and every check-in and or will point out some sort of emotional tie to it. So I felt bad that I had a glass of wine. I feel guilty that I wasn't able to eat every single meal at home. Um, I I was lazy. I should have done better at preparing for the week. Like kind of like bringing themselves down constantly is a sign of low confidence and also can be tied into a disordered relationship with food and their body. Got it. I, I'm, yeah, I'm in complete agreement. I love that. Um, so let's say we've established that they do have that disordered, uh, image with their body or, or a negative relationship with food, so to speak. Mm -hmm. How do you go about fixing it? Cause you're, you're a wizard with this. Like you've got endless amounts of people that are successful in your program. Talk to us. How do you do this for people? So if odds are, they're probably eating low calorie. So we will reverse diet. And the reason why we reverse diet is it helps them build their confidence around eating more in a slow controlled manner. So that way, like, yeah, that 100 calorie bump up for the week can be a little bit, you know, stressful, but it's a lot easier going from, you know, 1200 to 
13 or 1400 versus 1200 up to 2000 calories. So if we can slowly work their way up. And I also remember an interview that you did about, you know, eating pizza and waking up with abs in the morning. I feel like these clients, when they slowly build up their intake and they realize, oh, I look good or I feel good, I have energy, um, they almost have their confidence built up too, that they don't have to live at that 1200 calorie mark and that they're not going to get fat if they eat 500 calories more or 800 calories more. It's just slowly building up their confidence. And then also like if I find that they're talking negatively about their body and they hate when I have them do this, but it's talk positively about yourself. Name three things that you like. It doesn't always have to be physical. It could be something about your personality and who you are as a person, but you should be able to at least have three positive things to say about yourself every single day. Isn't it weird to think that people struggle to talk positively about themselves? Like what a world that we live in. And obviously I get we're we're all quarantined and like we we all see our, our biggest flaws in ourselves every day, which which by the way, I think that's really the biggest downfall of this whole pandemic is the isolation. And I think isolation, you know, when when not uh, used appropriately, because there's definitely appropriate uses for isolation, but isolation when there's negative headspace leads mm-hmm. to a constant assessment of the negative things about ourselves and then usually very inappropriate ways of trying to fix those things. And I, I think in the world that we live in, we're only going to see those consequences the next six to like 18 months, right? The next half a year to, to year and a half. So in the reverse process, do you ever get resistance um, where where you're like, okay, we're, we're going to eat 400 more calories, which is not a lot of calories, but... Yeah what kind of resistance do you get? How do you overcome that resistance? More accountability because then that allows for less wiggle room for them to not follow things. So that could look like a daily email to me showing me their food for the day, where their targets were. And let's say they're falling short on carbohydrates. I would suggest, you know, let's add in a half an apple. And they're like, well, I'm nervous. I'm like, let me break that down. It's a half an apple. And they're like, Okay, I think I can do a half an apple, like make it less scary for them. But I also just think that extra accountability can help. And then I also have a Facebook community as well. So I will encourage them to share their food because odds are whenever someone shares their food in my Facebook community, people are positive. And I find that that positive reinforcement can help them feel confident in their choices. So like some of those comments could be like, wow, that breakfast looks good or wow, that's such a good idea. And then they could feel good about their food choices versus like second guessing every single thing. I love that. Uh, I think so. Um, I apologize for weird, uh, but community is often overlooked in terms of this. And I, I think even if you um, clinical eating disorder, I think that's one area where it struggles. Um, you're still living, it's one-on-one, it's you, it's it's the doctor, it's the medical community. Um, mm-hmm. And there's no real touch point to quote unquote reality. I, I think that those isolated settings, uh, if it were me, I would just think, well, I'm in an altered reality. I'm doing what I'm being forced to do. I'm not proactively making choices. And I think that the beauty of what you're describing is you're getting them to be on board with choices. Like you're not demanding eat this extra half an apple, you're saying, let's try it. And, and you're waiting for yeah. them for commitment to it to, oh, I might've lost Nicole. There she is. Uh, but uh, 
you know, you're, you're getting their commitment to the process. Um, and, and I think that that's super important. And sometimes it takes a little while. Like the last thing that you can do as a coach is get frustrated because trust me, your client's frustrated with themselves. They want to be able to do it or else they wouldn't have hired you. Um, so making them feel bad about the fact that they aren't able to hit it, like maybe you're not saying the right word. Okay. There's lots of different words that I use around food, like fuel and energy and vitamins and minerals. And, you know, this is going to help your workouts. This is going to help with your, your sleep. This is going to help you get your period back. Like just little things like that to help encourage them to make those behavior changes. But that's going to look different for every person. Well, I think this is a very horrible topic to bring to a coach. And, you know, I, I know for me, I never asked for help. It was kind of thrust upon me. Um, you know, for me, it was very much like the people around me, the personal trainers around me, they saw what I was doing to myself because I was just the sweppy that worked the front desk at the gym. Like mm -hmm. I, nobody cared about me. I was just the guy that made sure the door was unlocked at 445 in the morning. And, you know, one of the trainers saw what I was doing to myself. I would get off work. I would nap. I would do two hours of cardio, train, starve, blah, blah, blah. And the advice was given to me predicated on like, you know, just like you, I saw this bodybuilder that walked in and I was like, I want to look like him. You know, obviously yours was gymnastics, but mm -hmm. How would you encourage an individual that's listening to this podcast to overcome their own internal issues and to actually reach out for help? Because it's it's a little embarrassing to some people. It's a little taboo to some people. How do you encourage people to really connect to that and to reach out? So I have them just picture what that version of themselves looks like in the long term. So a lot of people, when they start a program, coach might ask what's your short-term goal I don't really care about that like I don't really care what you want to achieve in eight 12 weeks like I care about what you want to achieve in two years and so tell me what that person looks like and odds are that person isn't going to look like someone who is scared to go out to eat on the weekends who maybe is lacking muscle mass because you know that chronic dieting doesn't allow for muscle mass to be added on to your frame or maybe it's having super low energy from you know depriving yourself or doing too much cardio. What does that person look like? What does that person feel like? And if they can picture that person, it's going to be a lot easier for them to achieve. And this is something that I do for myself, like in the competition space, like I picture myself at a pro level, but achieving that look in the healthiest manner and with like a full athletic look on stage. So I picture that every single day. And I feel like visualization gets overlooked because we just, you know, we say that goal that we want to achieve, but we don't truly take time to picture it. Yeah, I think picturing it in detail you described. I've never heard a competitor say to me, I picture myself on stage and then throwing in the extra, but doing it in the healthiest way possible. Um, yeah. <laughs> so many competitors over the course of a decade and they're all like i just want to win my pro card and i want to win pro shows and like the discussion of of the healthiest way and being out like those things never really come in and so i think that the notion of really putting details into your visualization um is is extremely important mm -hmm. and like you know it can be a little weird to be in the competitor space and still want this relationship with food with all my clients but like 
I even think a lot of competitors can work on their relationship with not going crazy post-show, like understanding that competing can be a catalyst for eating disorders. If you don't have that awareness, um, I'm someone who is hyper aware, but I don't allow for post-show crazy food scenarios. Like I don't allow for myself to even look at myself too long in the mirror um, or even post too much about my body because I don't want to trigger other people but I also don't want to get married to basically a uniform in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So you said a word, you said you're hyper aware about your relationship with food and, and your body and, and all those things. And that makes me wonder every person, like when they hear about diet today, and I'm, I'm very big on this, I talk about sustainability and balance, but even that sometimes I post it and I question myself. I'm like, what the fuck does balance even mean? Uh, I think everyone is on the elusive search for balance, if if we can even create a definition. So I'm interested to know, what what is your definition of true balance and also truly being successful when it comes to implementing a, a lifestyle dietary approach? Yeah, so I do like to utilize like tracking macros of my clients, but eventually I like to incorporate some intuitive based practices so that can look like untracked days, untracked meals. Um, you know, ideally you don't want to track macros for the rest of your life and you want to be able to make food choices without pulling out a food scale or a tracking app. And I think that a lot of people, you know, maybe they get to macro tracking, but then they get stuck there you have to think about what you can do long-term. So balance to me is something that you can do long-term that doesn't feel difficult to where your health is optimal, um, your energy feels great, like your physique is healthy. And I say healthy because if you do wanna lose body fat and diet, that's not bad, especially if it's going to benefit your health. Maybe you're a female who's trying to get pregnant and you want your weight needs to be at the lower end or Maybe you're a female who actually needs to gain weight. You know, it's going to look different for every person, but you know, we still want you to be in a healthy level um, to where, you know, we don't have high blood pressure or, you know, risk for diabetes at all. You know, sometimes I'll even monitor things like blood glucose to make sure that's not super high all the time. So we want to make sure that you're just healthy on the inside too. And that doesn't mean look like a size zero or a size four, you know, it can be healthy at like a size eight for a female. Um, I think that this approach is going to help a lot of people. And so I kind of want to look into the future. What What is your future mission? Where does this go? Because obviously you're helping a lot of women change their lives. What, what is it that you're looking to do more of? Um, where do you see your practice and your business evolving next 5, 10, 15 years? Yeah. Well, I started my business in undergrad because I lived in Cleveland, Ohio, and I realized that I wasn't going to have a lot of clientele in the Midwest. So I just started small online and I've been now full time with myself since 2018 and I now live in Tampa, Florida. So I moved to Tampa for networking so I could network with other online coaches and also just work on growing my business. So I could see myself going around and doing um, speaking events, talking about body image, your relationship with food, um, just your mindset and making sure that you are healthy. And I would also 
like I see myself having a, a team with me as well. Because right now it's just me. It's a one woman show here. It's a lot of different jobs right now. Um, but I do definitely want to expand my business and I can see in 2021 even bringing on a team member. I think that's all okay. given the impact on this world. Mm -hmm. It's a must. I'm going to tell you, that has watched the space evolve, it is an absolute must for you to go out and to, to get your mission into the world. Exactly what we're about, right? Everything at MCI is about go out, change the world. You're one of the few people that are super gifted with vision, with compassion, with empathy, but then you pair that up with knowledge and, and what you're doing in the world to to help women change their relationships with food is just needs to be spoken about at a higher level. So I want everybody to to hear this podcast. Um, as as we start to wrap it up, where how do people get in touch with you? What should they be thinking about before they reach out to you? Um, what should they expect when they reach out to you? Uh, mm -hmm. Kind of give everybody an insight as to what is it like to work with Nicole. Yeah. So if you're thinking about working with me, I want you to ask yourself if you are ready to commit to me because I want someone who's fully committed to me, who's ready to work, who is ready to ask questions and to learn. Um, I think a lot of clients get nervous to ask questions, but I'm all for that. I want them to ask questions and learn. Uh, if you apply for my coaching, I do prefer to set up a phone call with you because I like to get to know you and where you're currently at with your fitness journey and what struggles that you're currently having and how I can best help you because there's so many different coaches out there. And, you know, maybe I won't be the right coach for you, but maybe I'm the perfect coach for you. And the only way that we can figure that out is through a conversation. Um, and the other thing, too, is if you're currently struggling with an eating disorder or you feel like you're on the line of not disordered eating, but possibly having an eating disorder, you can always do a free screening on Nita's website, and then they can actually link you to therapists within your location. What was that website? Nita, so National Eating Disorders Awareness. So they have a free screening. So before you want to work with a fitness coach, and I do find that a lot of people who struggle with an eating disorder, they are hesitant with therapy because there's they feel like there's a negative connotation with it, which I don't agree with. Um, I've worked with clients who are also working with their therapist, so you can have a team behind you. But if you do that screening, it can let you know where your risk level is at. And if you're high risk, you know, you can find therapists nearby. Dude, that's awesome. We'll, uh, we'll have our producer link that up in the show notes for anybody that's interested in that. I think that's a super important resource. And um, I, again, like I go all the way back to the beginning where I think, you know, you understanding that fine line and, and being able to work inside of that fine line is just so important. And, and I'll congratulate you for being willing to step into a space where uh, coaches like us are often shunned. Uh, we are, you know, we're told that we're not allowed to do this work when in reality, like you said, I think if the team approach was taken by the medical community, I really believe that clients would be getting a better service and subsequently a better result. I think that's that's super important. So um, if there was one thing you had to say before we wrap this up to every single person that's listening to this, that is questioning themselves, questioning their ability to create success with food, questioning um, the, the work they've done with food and the relationship they may have and wondering, will this cycle ever end? What would be the statement you would leave them with? Um, you create your life. 
So if you want change, you can create change. If you want to get better, you can get better. If you have a bad relationship with food, you can improve that. But it's up to you to decide that. You can't get better if you aren't fully in it and if you don't believe that you can. So again, visualizing how you see yourself in the healthiest way possible. Um, and this goes for literally anything. Like this could be career oriented. Like you create your life. You're never stuck. You just have to decide to change. Guys, you your life. Final word, very wise, Nicole. Dude, I can't thank you enough for making time this morning. I know that I know we are up against a, a time window. Hopefully, we got you out of there so you can get to the airport because I know you got some travel going on. Um, but I'm super grateful for your time and popping in here and sharing that with our community. I know there's so many people that are going to hear this that need to connect to it. Um, where can people get to you? Is there a website? Uh, mm -hmm. Do you want people to reach out to you on Instagram? Where's the best way to, to get to you? Yeah. So my website's just Nicole Farrier Fitness. And then that's actually my Instagram as well. And then I do have a podcast, which is called Beyond the Bikini, which we chat on, you know, competing, but also just body image as well. That's why I named it Beyond the Bikini. So you would realize that you are more than just a bikini body. I love that. Yeah. I just threw up uh, Nicole's handle on Instagram. Go follow her. We'll link up your website in the show notes. Go check out the podcast, guys, because women, you are more than just a bikini and you're more than just a body behind bikini. bikini. Uh, you know, after having helped a lot myself, I know that this is a topic that uh, more people need to dive into and they need to work with a professional that does this for a living, somebody that literally specializes in this area. So if that is you, I'm going to encourage you, reach out to Nicole. Uh, she's, she's great at what she does and she has blessed us with 40 minutes of gold here on the podcast. So you may need to listen a couple of times to really catch just the mental things that she gave you. But again, Nicole, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for, for being willing to come into our community, share your knowledge and share some of your time. You're welcome. Thank you again. And for anyone listening, don't hesitate to DM and reach out. You know, I'm happy to answer any questions for you. Guys, do that. She's for you. As always, uh, we appreciate Nicole. Nicole, the Army of Impact. And guys, everybody listening, please continue choosing impact over everything. Hey, guys. On the Beyond the Bikini podcast, you know I talk a lot about training and nutrition. Trust me, it can be hard to hit the gym consistently, track your macros to a T, and feel like you're making progress. So rather you're a newbie in the gym or someone who's been hitting the gym consistently but possibly hit a plateau, then I recommend you check out my one-on-one -on -one coaching. No, I do not only coach prep clients, but I coach lifestyle clients as well. I would love to hear more about your goals, so feel free to apply for my one-on-one -on -one coaching down below at the link. There we can discuss what you're wanting to accomplish in the gym, with your relationship with food, and how I can help you reach your goals.